Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, we are in the book of James this morning. And James has been challenging us, and I've been challenging you guys, and I've been challenging myself to grow up and mature. James has been challenging us to mature and to grow up through trials, through temptations, through our language and watching what we say, for us to be able to shine in the darkness. And he's really asking a commitment in this life toward him in his ways. And then James changes from the carnal Christian thought to, to a counterfeit Christian. He, he kind of changes. He, he switches gears here. Those who think that they are of God, those who have said, I, I am a Christian, yet nothing is reflected in their lives with what they say. Nothing. Those who believe that God is God, but really haven't committed their life to him, it's more of a, a recognition type of thing. And Jesus, you know, warned about this very thing in, in Matthew 13 as he went through some of the parables. And as you can tell, I've been kind of reading some parables this week. But he said, Jesus, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed uh, weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads... The weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let's both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in the bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat to bring it in from the barn. Satan has done a number on the church. Satan has done exactly this to the church. And bad seeds within the church water down the church. It corrupts the church. We even see where, where pastors are sowing the wrong things. They're not preaching the word. They're preaching what people want to hear. They're preaching their thoughts. They're preaching the world's ways in an effort to win over man. But while they're trying to win over man, they're condemning people to hell. And that is a travesty. This is why we try to stick to the word. Am I always 100% correct in my teaching? No. When I figure that out, I say, hey, you know, last week I said this, and I really think I messed up, and it should be this. But we try to stick to the Word. We try to teach the Word to a totality of the, of the Scriptures, not picking one verse out and manipulating it to say what we want it to say. God allows His bad seed to, uh, you know, to be sown. And he doesn't yank it out so quick because he does not want to hurt the true seeds. It's a really weird balance here. But in the end, what does he do? He separates the two. So how do you know if you're a Christian or not? Or how do you know if somebody else is a Christian or not? Well, you look at the pattern of their life. 
You see if they're, they're going, going in godly ways. Not perfect, but are they going toward God? It's a simple test. Now, I say this with a big caveat. Only God really knows. Only God truly knows. I'm not the decider of somebody going to heaven or hell. That is God. We don't condemn people to hell. But it's a simple test. But let's not kid ourselves into thinking that just because someone goes to church that they are saved. Religious unbelievers, I would call them. Well, I'm a Christian because my family's Christian. Well, I'm a Baptist because my family's Baptist. I'm a Catholic because my family's Catholic. I'm this or I'm that because my family. And it's like, well, yes, but have you made the decision? You have to make the decision. And then you have to act upon that decision. Paul warns Titus about this also, saying, watch out for these guys, these deceivers. And this really goes all the way back to Moses. God does all these miraculous things in Egypt. And many actually, we don't really talk about that much, but there was actually people, the Egyptians at the time, that followed the Israelites out. And they said, well, I want to go with the winning team. Yet they were not of the faith. And they really weren't believers. They didn't believe in the one true God. They just said, that looks good because I see what's happening and I'm just going to follow them. They tagged along, but they were not of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, John calls them lukewarm, neither hot or cold. They were just sort of part of the church. One leg in, one leg out. Religious unbelievers mixing God and the world together. This is who James is talking about. He is challenging them to, to see where they were and make a decision. Today we're talking about the, a, a passive faith in, the, in James 2, 14 through 26. A faith that really is dead versus a faith that is alive and full of good works. Verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to be a faith and has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Now, again, we've mentioned this, that Martin Luther did not like this at all, where he sees James is saying that works save you, your works save you, which I don't think is the point that James is trying to make here. The ironic thing is the Lutheran church that came out of Martin Luther's teachings in many ways has gone astray from the teachings of the Bible. And it's unfortunate because they're teaching into ears, the itchy ears, what they want to hear, telling people what they want to hear. Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther believed that James, the book of James did not belong in the Bible. And the reasons was that he was locked in the battle with the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church was talking about what it takes to be saved. The Catholic Church believed faith plus works is what saved you. Believing going to Mass, praying the rosary, keeping the sacraments, giving the money. And the reformers said, no, 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 hold on. It is clear we are saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That is it. So there was this battle going on. But see, what James is saying is, the works that we have come after we are saved. It's not what saves us, 
but it shows what we truly believe in, and it's evident in our life. James is not teaching that faith and works. I understand where Luther is coming from. I understand the battle he was going through there, but I don't think that's what James was saying. He's saying that our faith produces works, which is evidence of our salvation. If a person says that they have faith, yet nothing ever comes out to show their faith, are they truly a believer? Well, from my perspective, I would say no. But again, it's God, not me. I would just say we don't see the evidence of that. This is the very thing that Jesus said, you will know them by what? Their fruit. Their fruit. James now talks about some areas where fruit is sown, or shown. In verse 15 it says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James is saying it's not worth much. This kind of faith is, is a dead faith, as James says in the next verse. You know, talking the talk, but never walking the walk. That Sunday church is enough. Nothing else is done the rest of the time. Nothing else is done in your week to, 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 to bring about a better relationship with Christ. Just show up and we're all good. But see, the true faith brings a new birth within us. What we call being born again or born from above. The Spirit of God moves in and starts shoving things around. And sometimes we don't like that. We're like, I like that over there. And God's like, oh, but this is all messed up. You don't want that right there. Let me get rid of that for you. And you're like, no, 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 don't put that out for the garage sale. And God's going, but you don't need it. My wife and I were cleaning up our backyard because I finally finished the swing set. You want to come over and see a beautiful swing set for the kids to come on over, you know? But I tell you, we're cleaning up the backyard, and it's like some of the stuff goes in the trailer. Guess where the trailer's going? To the dump. Other stuff we're giving to friends or, or whatever, and, you know, it's like, okay, we have this extra slide. Well, we got a slide that's messed up at church. Let us bring that slide up here, and we'll replace it out. You know, but, but we got to clean it up. That's what the Holy Spirit does to our life. Comes in and says, Alan, you've got to clean this up. First thing the Spirit does when he moves in is what Paul says in Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured onto us or out, poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. The Spirit of God gives us the love that we have for other people, but it's a whole different love. It's evident in how we treat other people, how we love other people. It can't be faked, can't be manufactured. You know, it's so funny. Do we truly listen to somebody? I was talking to somebody this morning. Uh, they showed up early, and I was here early. And, and when I get here early, I go into task mode because there's so many things I got to get done. You know what I mean? I, I got to get this done. I got to get this sound thing set up. I got to do this or that or whatever. So I'm in task mode. And, and I have to be careful because then I stop listening to people. You know what I'm saying? Can you fake listening to somebody? 
No, usually you can tell when somebody's not listening, right? They're like, yeah. Let me check my phone. You know, all those things. You can see it. We have human love, friendship love, family love, but we don't have God's love until the Holy Spirit moves in. That's when we get true love. It's a sacrificial love. It's an unconditional love. It's an others-centered love. The only way to have God's love is through the Holy Spirit through what we call salvation. The word hope in Romans 5 is, I know, I know hope. It's not, oh, I hope, oh, I want this for Christmas. No, it's an assured hope. It is, that is where I put my faith. That is where I put my life because, because I know the hope that is there. It's grounded in the promises of God. So again, how do we know if the Holy Spirit is within us? Because we have a love for other people that God has put there. In 1 John, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then later on it goes on and says, But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And that's another word for mature. It is matured in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You see, it's about his love. And his love that comes out of us into this world. The God in the Old Testament has, has a soft spot for three types of people. The orphans, the widows, and the strangers. If you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll see that theme all the time going through there. God is always reaching out to these folks. God's heart becoming our heart. Do we have the love for others? Because once God comes into our heart, our love for those, you know, those in need should grow. Let us reach out to those in need. My wife and I, we've, you know, over the years been able to go on many mission trips all over the world. Some to, some to gorgeous locations and some to not so gorgeous locations. Um, you know, the best gorgeous location was Hawaii. I, I know, you've got to mention it, you know. A whole bunch of people wanted to go on that mission trip, but, but going to other places like Angola or Kenya or, or Athens or, or Mexico, different places, we've always had that pull to, to go and reach out to those. Over the years, it's been kind of hard for this church to get that going. Every time I suggested it, it'd be like something would happen. It was like Satan come out of left field, you know? 
and here with the Philippines. I think it's a good, good mesh with us in another church and area and, and helping out that ministry and going with them. And, and, and you know, uh, Lord willing, we'll go there next summer uh, again, you know, uh, you know, with COVID being out of the way and, and all that kind of stuff. But we need to reach out local and international. We need to have that, that love of God to other people because true faith is to help those who are in need and keep others from being polluted by this world. This is what James says at the end of chapter 1. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, or go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Talk is cheap. We all know that. We all had somebody who just talks the game. Especially when it comes to faith. But if a person has no fruit... You see, the Pharisees, they talked about God all the time, all the time, yet they acted like the world. They didn't act like God. They didn't have fruit. James is saying, faith without works is all talk. I will show you faith with works. Let's sit down and let's compare it. And he wasn't saying, I'm better than you. He's just saying, let's compare our faith. Do you truly have faith in God? We can't see into a person's heart but we can see what comes out of their actions. You know, I want my kids to, to see my love, not just hear my love. You know, sometimes we have to discipline, but if it's discipline, 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 and no love ever coming out, what do they see? Discipline. They don't see love. We have to have both. We have to have God's love in our heart for this world. If I had two clay pots on the stage filled with soil and said only one has a seed in it, you would go, which one? I would say, well, let's wait and see. Let's keep watering it each week. I thought about doing this, but I didn't have time to do it, you know? But let's just kind of water it and let's see. Let's keep them watered and see what happens. Eventually, the one with the seed would show itself, right? If we're watered by God's word, if we're watered by God, eventually the seed grows, right? That's why it's so important for us to be watered. It's so important for us to, yes, it's good to be here on Sunday in church, and I want you here, okay? Don't get me wrong. But it's good for us to be watered throughout the week also so it can produce seed. I can't believe my grass is growing so well in my backyard. I tore it all up, okay, doing this swing set. It didn't get watered for like a good month. You know, because I had tools and stuff. I didn't want to get them wet and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I was like, man, I need to get some water on this grass. Or I don't, I don't know if I can bring it back. Guess what? My grass is greener. It's been in years because I dumped a ton of water on it. That's what happens with the Holy Spirit in our life. We dump the Holy Spirit into our lives, and all of a sudden it enlivens us. It starts growing, and we start to see results. We need to be, you know, need, need to stay watered. Because eventually the Holy Spirit shows itself. If, if you have two people that claim that they are Christians, give, give it some time. 
Give it some time and you'll see. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows. The other person can attend everything, do all the same things. But if the seed's not there, it never produces the fruit. James is saying that faith produces works. Not works save you. It just, it's evidence of what we believe. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, or 2, 8 through 10, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this, this concept. God has already prepared for you to do good works. He's already done the groundwork. He's already churned up the soil. He is just waiting for you to be planted. He's waiting for you to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the seed and produce the works of God. He's got it ready. All you have to do is jump in the game. We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift that produces works. Now, James begins to tighten screws a little bit on his readers, if he hasn't done, done enough already, you know what I'm saying? James is, uh, you know, anticipating them because he's talking mainly to Jewish Christians, God's chosen people, to say, well, we are Jewish. Of course we have faith. We have true faith like Abraham does. So James kind of, you know, anticipates that, and he says in verse 19, you believe that there is no God, uh, I mean, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. Ouch. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? This is a very Jewish thing, a very Jewish way of thinking. The Jews prided themselves on being God's chosen people. They prided themselves on that. And they, they forget the whole point of God taking these ragtag group of nothing people to show God's grace to the world. That was what was supposed to happen. But instead, they walked around with like peacocks all preened up and just, you know, got their feathers out and just all like, I'm God's chosen, you know. They lived among pagan people all around them, pagan people who were polytheistic, many gods everywhere, and the Jews prided themselves on knowing the one true God because they were monotheistic. They, they prayed every morning the, the Shema, or Shema, or however you want to pronounce it. It was said every morning, especially by the Jewish men. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, uh, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. In the New Testament, they, they added uh, uh, all your heart, soul, uh, they, they added mind in there because Jewish thought the soul and the mind were one. And the pagan, uh, I say the pagan, the, the Hellenistic thought, the Roman world, uh, heart and soul were two separate things. James says, great, the one true God, you recognize him. Congratulations. But even the demons can do that. Facts won't save you. Knowing something will not save you. 
James's point is that a passive faith is worthless. Even the demons knew Jesus and what he did. They saw it all, but they won't be in heaven. You can believe a lot of great things about God and still not to go, uh, not go to heaven. It's a living, active faith. We need to believe to the point of commitment. Uh, you know, and this is where a lot of people, I think, are ignorant, where many go to church and they get the teachings about Christ, who he is and what he's done and, 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 and you know, what he's doing now, and, and they truly believe that. They hear the words believe and be saved, and they think they believe, but it's a passive mental uh, thing. See, we need to go beyond that to a commitment. When I started dating Lisa, a relationship developed. We fell in love, but it wasn't marriage, was it? No. The only way to go into that next step was to take the next step was to stand before God and men and say our vows and, and make a commitment. Marriage is not a passive relationship. Oh, I love her, but I never do anything about it. You know, the continually dating thing that never produces into marriage. You know what I'm saying? This is the same with our relationship with the Lord. There are a lot of people who have grown up in, in great Christian churches, and they have always believed in Jesus, but they've never really made a commitment to him. The Bible speaks of relationship with Christ as a, as a marriage, that it goes beyond just the belief stage. It's not a passive thing. Not just about believing. It's about a, a, the commitment to the relationship living for God the rest of our lives, a commitment that leads to us being in Christ, one with Christ. We become married with him. We become one. You're not married, you know, until you become one. This is how it is in, in the eyes of God. Before that time, you're two separate people who like to hang out. The, you know, the, the commitment of the marriage is important. Let's just not hang out with God. Let's make the commitment. Problem with many people in church is the fact that they like the fun part of the relationship. But as we've all been married, you know, if you've been married a few years, I won't say that I've been married 27 years, for quite a while. You know, it comes to a point where, where marriage is beyond the fun dating stage, right? And I'm not saying that that's not good or bad. I'm just saying that's just reality. You get past the whole heebie-jeebies thing, you know, and the, 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 you know, the excitement of, of just starting out and dating, and it goes beyond that to, to where you have to make that commitment when you're irritated a little bit. Or you have to make that commitment every day as, as it's, you know, as your, your, your mate gets a little weight on himself. I mean, um, you know, as life goes on. That's the same thing with the Lord. We need to be tied down to Jesus, not just dating Jesus with no commitment. When a person has made the commitment, the evidence is going to be their works by faith. 
And he mentions Abraham to make this point. Remember, the Jewish Christians revered Abraham. Many felt that just because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were set. Verse 21, he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. As the scripture was fulfilled and said, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and do not do, uh, and not by faith alone. See, we know in Genesis 15, 6, that God made Abraham a promise of the Messiah's coming, that, that, that he would have so many descendants. He would have so many things going on that you couldn't even count the descendants. And, and the promise involved Jesus, and Abraham believed it, and it was credited to him in righteousness, but it was by his actions. Then in Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to take his son up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. This would be modern-day Calvary. In Genesis 15, he was considered righteous, so this is not doing something that would make him saved, but it proved his faith, the evidence of his saving faith. He gets up early, he gets his son, they gather the wood, they go all the way to the top of the mountain. He's ready to sacrifice his son, and the angels at the very last minute say, wait, 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 wait. See that ram over there caught in a thicket? Do the ram instead of your son. We can say, say, say that we have faith, but it has to be backed up by obedience, obedience to our Lord and Savior. Abraham, you know, he didn't just believe. He proved he believed. James says that Abraham's faith coupled with his works led to obedience. And his faith was perfected. It was shown to be genuine. It was shown to be mature. He didn't run away when things got difficult. His works showed that he was genuine. It was his proof. Not just head knowledge but backed up by faith. Luke 6, 46, Jesus was talking and he said, another parable, and he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Ouch. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. James 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If we are following God, we know we are truly his child and our obedience proves that, proves that we're saved. My children reflect who they are by following in obedience. It takes time, doesn't it? I wish it was instant. Tell my child one thing, and he does it. The next time around, he does something completely different. And I'm like, didn't we already talk about that? 
And God looks down at me and says, yeah, Alan, we've been talking about that for years. We reflect what we believe. Verse 25 of James says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. We studied this through the book of Joshua. Uh, Rahab lived in Jericho, and, and, and the sermons are online. But, you know, the, the first city of the promised land that they entered to, that they went up against, and everyone had heard the story about the escape from Egypt and how the Lord protected the Israelites, and they were terrified even after 40 stinking years. They lived out in the desert. There were these nomads that were traveling all around. They had not made it to the promised land. And finally, they entered the promised land after 40 years of what God did in Egypt. These people are still afraid. That's the power of God. They recognized that their God was a powerful God. Everyone heard the story. When two spies were in the city, they found Rahab. And, and why did they go there? Well, the harlots would know what was going on, right? <laughs> they found the door that would be painted red. That's what they would do. That's where we kind of get the whole red light district idea. You go to Amsterdam on a mission trip and you take a wrong turn. It's not always a good thing, okay? I'm just saying from experience, like walking down the red light district. They're sitting in the window. Okay. But she tells them how the people are terrified. And if you read the story, Rahab believed in God and, and she became a changed woman. Her actions were credited to her as righteousness to the point that she's actually in the line of Christ, if you can believe that. She acted on what she you know, came to believe that God was the one true God. Verse 26, it says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I think this is obvious. Once the body releases the spirit, it's just a body. Now, if we're in that situation, we grieve, don't we? And, and there's, you know, there's, there's proper times to grieve, and it's good to grieve, and, and don't get me wrong, but the spirit is no longer there. The spirit is no longer there. Faith without deeds is like the dead body. Simple to understand. Deeds don't save you, but they are the evidence of what you believe. If I say to my wife, I love you, honey. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I say that all the time, yet go out sleeping around. What do my actions say? I don't really love her. That's not a good thing. We, we say something. We have to follow it up in our actions. If I say that I believe in God, that I have faith, and then live in the world's ways 99% of the other time, then do I really have faith in God? That's a question for you to consider. Not for me to judge you on, but just you to consider. We are saved through faith alone which produces a seed, and that seed is the Holy Spirit. And when that seed is watered by God through fellowship, 
through worship in the word, worship in, in music, and our deeds, our actions, our works. It produces 20-fold, 30-fold, 100-fold. It produces more seed for God. And eventually God does what? When God comes back, he's going to take the weeds out and he's going to burn them. And he's going to gather the wheat and they're going to go with him. It's a simple concept. Yet for this world, it's such a, a fight. It's a fight because of what Satan has done. What Satan has done. Well, why don't you stand and we'll pray as the worship team comes and leaves us with a song and then we will have a fun barbecue. If you want to stick around and eat with us, it'd be good. If not, I will finish it all for you. So, just saying. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for your saving grace most of all. The sacrifice that you made on the cross and what you did for our lives is just Unbelievable. Yet it's believable because your spirit is within us. I pray that our faith is not dead. I pray for those that, that maybe have the seed implanted in them and, and it just needs to be watered to be able to produce something that, that, it, that those works would come through. We all desire to be of you, Lord. And I pray that it produces something. I pray for those that maybe feel like their, their faith is dead a little bit this morning that you would show them that they would just walk in your ways, down your path, that it would produce fruit, fruit that is good for this world, good for their lives. I thank you for leading the way for us, Lord. I thank you for all the saints that have gone before us, that we should follow in their ways and their path. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may in your belief, may your works show that you are one with the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.